0: happy friday everybody welcome back into mining stock daily and our friday in-depth interview very special episode today first time mr warren Irwin is on the show this is a conversation i've been looking forward to having uh, for quite some time and uh i can't believe it's taken two years to get that gentleman on the show but uh glad that we can make it happen a lot of great information out there for anybody interested in speculating and investing in resources in the mining sector but we do a lot of discussing for the newbies, and we've seen a lot of newbies coming into the junior resource stocks as of lately. So great conversation with Warren. We then turn around and talk with CEO Brad Peters of Pacific Empire Minerals and get a corporate update from them to see what's coming down the pipeline after this recent financing. Special thanks to our sponsors, Rio 2, Western Copper and Gold, Corvus Gold, and Integra Resources. Speaking of Integra Resources, they start trading on the NYSE American this morning. So, if you're a shareholder of Integra Resources, uh, better make sure that uh, things switch around in your brokerage account. So, happy to start our conversation off with Mr. Warren Irwin. Thank you so much, everybody. Have a wonderful Friday and a wonderful weekend. Best of luck. Take care. Be good to yourself. Be well. Hey everybody, welcome into Mining Stock Daily and our Friday morning in-depth interview, which we always air every Friday morning to get you into the last trading day of the week and into the weekend. Today I have a very special guest, someone I have uh, kind of watched from afar and, uh, you know, kind of admired for the most part in the last few years, ever since I've heard a few of his interviews he's done with a couple other podcast hosts, and that is Mr. Warren Irwin. Uh, Warren, thank you for joining us here on Mining Stock Daily for the first time.
1: And Trevor, thanks so much for having me.
0: Um, you know, I th- let's just jump right into it. Uh, you and I chatted uh, briefly with an introduction phone call uh, last week, um, but the gold market was in the middle of making this extraordinary move last week, and uh, it just kept on going. So we, before we get into some of these topics that you and I want to chat about, um, I thought I'd get your thoughts here on this precious metals move uh, this week, and what you think of you—you know, you know, what what do you think it's made of, and uh, if you are, if you have any caution with it?
1: Yeah, well, the way I approach it, uh, the, the gold market really is, uh, and the reason I'm a long-term bull on gold is uh, what I do for a living is I fund gold explorers, so I have a very, very good sense right from the ground up. Of who's looking for gold, where they're looking for gold, what the odds of them finding it are, and one thing I've noticed is we are having one heck of a tough time finding gold, and we continue to have uh, you know pretty solid production. So we're not, from what I can tell, we're just not finding the gold we need to replace the gold that we're mining. So, um, and as, if you get any gradual demand over time of gold for gold, this is going to lead to higher prices and. That's the only way we're going to get gold production up is higher prices. So that's my fundamental thesis on gold. Uh, on this near-term pop, obviously, everybody's concerned about the ramifications of uh, the U.S. printing money and how that could impact the value of the, the U.S. dollar and, uh, and the purchasing power of the U.S. dollar. So a number of people are, are you know, rightfully so. They're li- listening to, uh, to a number of the people like um, I've got a book here by, um, you know, Jim Rickards, uh, the new the new case for gold, right? I I read that years ago, and um, people are are putting money into gold now. My only concern is um, the higher prices are obviously destroying um, aggregate demand for gold from countries like India, where you know the economy is having a rough go of it, and Indians are quite price sensitive. On the price of gold, so and then you've got people who are who own gold who are taking advantage of the higher price and selling into it. So basically, uh, I think on a fundamental, the traditional buyers are are not there as much as they were before, and there probably are more sellers with respect to traditional sellers, as in people who are having financial tough times. Who bought gold in the past are selling it, but there's this new force on the block, which is some of the big funds and speculators out of the U.S. throwing money at at the gold market, so that's really uh, that's really what's driving this, from what I could tell. And so it'll be interesting to see how long that continues. But when they stop pumping money into gold, and there's another fra- flavor of the day, uh, that's a, that'll be a very dangerous situation. But you never know; this could last for years. It could last for months. But uh, it seems to have quite a head of steam on here, and um, I think gold's in the near term heading higher. But you know, at the end of the day. Um, it'll go back to those traditional buyers when these financial speculators have had their fill of gold and either uh, own as much as they'd like or want to move on to something next that's more exciting.
0: In the general markets, we've seen a lot of money really push up the prices in some of these big tech stocks, right? And I guess the question in regards to precious metals and, and precious metal stocks is, could, could, that, could that happen and be similar to what we saw or keep seeing with tech stocks?
1: You know, we we could see it. I've been through a few of these gold cycles before, and and stupid stuff happens, and you just never know. And uh, nowadays, you just throw in the whole Robin Hood factor, and watch what they've done with Kodak and and others. Uh, these Robin Hood guys are pretty interesting, and they seem to want to throw money at anything. So we're getting back into a bit of a punter's market here, near as I could tell. And I'm not sure why that is the case. Perhaps because Las Vegas has been shut down for so long that people take uh, take their gambling out on an uh, on online trading. And uh, there seems to be uh, an incredible amount of speculative money sloshing around here right now, which is, and uh, you know, a fair amount of it's finding its way into both tech, uh, you know, thing names like Tesla and stuff, and um, and the gold sector. So. Um, it's it's interesting to see and I, i've been through a few of these myself and uh, <laughs> it's tough for me as an old timer to get excited about it because i've watched how they all end so um but meanwhile it's we're entering, entering into a bit of a fun stage in the gold cycle and uh you know i'm hoping uh, we'll have a few more years left of it before uh, the chickens come home to roost and um those speculators learn the lessons learned from previous gold speculators and previous cycles.
0: Yeah, it'll be interesting to see if that buy the dip mentality from the general markets kind of moves weight here in the precious metal markets because quite honestly in the last two weeks we haven't had a dip to buy really. Uh, so <laughs> it'll be interesting to see if people come in and kind of and buy up any of those dips in gold and, gold and silver. So uh, we will see. Um, Warren, I, I did want to ask you, and I don't, and I, I don't want to re, really go in too far in depth to uh, the story that you uh, just—it's it, just a fascinating story about your involvement during uh, Brix in the uh, scandal that really shook the junior mining and exploration market back in the '90s. Uh, needless to say, uh, you saw the writing on the wall long before most people didn't. And uh, you were able to uh, to save yourself and your capital there and actually make some money. Uh, I wanted to take this opportunity that I have with you to really focus on warning signs for the new investors and speculators in the resource market, because uh, we are seeing more money coming into this. And, you know, given your experience and lessons learned over the past decades, what kind of advice or ideas would you give them now as we
1: head into this new bull market? Okay, well, uh, maybe I'll just backtrack a tiny bit, Trevor. Um, sure, I just please. want to make sure people understand my motivations here as to why I'm out uh, talking to people about about this. And um, I was very, very active in the 90s in, um, in trading gold juniors. My first significant investment was in the early '90s, right? So that's what 30 years, 30 years ago. Um, and my first mine visit was in, I think, 1969, when I was like five years old. Um, so I've been, and I lived in Timmins at the time and lived there as a kid for four years. So I was always fascinated with gold, gold mining. My neighbors worked in mines. All my friends' fathers worked in the, in the different mines in, in Timmins. So I've been following the gold mining sector quite a long time and. I really started getting into it in the early '90s, and uh, and you're talking about the whole BRIEX situation. Uh, I've written some really interesting articles uh, on that. Uh, there's one one floating around there if you Google my name, BRIEX, and Mike De Guzman, you'll understand my views on Mike De Guzman. How he's alive and well in um, in the Philippines, and he hasn't really he hasn't died. It's pretty obvious to me and to anybody who follows the situation closely. I've had people who are close friends of mine who have seen him in person since he was supposedly to have died after that scam. But the main, so that's a little bit of background on me. Um, and, but as far as my motivations, right, I want to make sure people understand why I'm, uh, it's not a self-serving motivation here. I'm not out to promote my name or anything like that. It's basically I'm trying to return a favor from a, from a dear friend of mine who saved my ass back in the mid 90s when I was you know five years in into investing in junior mining stocks and his name was Dale Hendrick and in the article uh, that I wrote I believe it was 2016 or 17 I wrote it I comment I give I give people a little bit more history on that and uh, if you if you have an interest in it I encourage you to google it, find the article and and read it it's quite an exciting story but Dave but basically uh, Dale saved my ass and Basically, he was a crusty old-timer who uh, knew all the scams, knew all the tricks of the trade, knew all the players involved. And he sat down with me after I returned from, from the Briex property and um, told me what he thought was going on, which to me at the time seemed like uh, fantasy. Uh, I couldn't believe BreX could be a fraud given that, um, you know, Barrick was going after them, Freeport was going after them, everybody wanted a bigger chunk of them. And the hype there was absolutely incredible. And to have this old timer who, you know, I didn't want to discount right away, telling me it was a complete fraud, um, really shook me to my core and forced me to revisit my position. So had I not listened to him and at least taken his viewpoints to heart, uh, my whole Briex experience would have turned out quite differently. And since I was building a Briex house at the time with my winnings, he uh, his thoughts had helped uh, me mitigate significant amount of risk. So I ended up that I didn't lose all my money like some of my friends had. I had one, one friend of mine who lost, uh, who had an $80 million gain and it went to zero and that destroyed him. And I've seen other, I've known other people with 16, 15, $20 million gains uh, and get vaporized. And I didn't get vaporized in part because, Dale and I, Dale and I met, and he put a number of these thoughts into my brain, which I, I decided to follow up on because it was reasonably diligent. So he saved my butt, uh, and my view is uh, I'd like I'm happy to share my stories over the last several decades investing in junior miners, so that they may save uh, one or two other than newbie investors who somehow think that uh, investing in gold juniors is a tremendous and exciting way to make money. It is, but it's fraught with danger and um, it's important to manage your risk properly.
0: What are some warning signs, uh, some basic warning signs that you would like new investors and speculators in this industry to know and and hold really close to them as they kind of begin this journey?
1: Well, the most important thing I think of is, and again, it's gonna be hard for some of the newbies to believe this. But the vast majority of uh, gold mining stocks out there are, frankly, worth zero. And uh, you know, the only the best way to find that out is to ride the down cycle a few times, along like I have a few times. And you watch these things, and they're worth you know, not much more than the shell value at the bottom of the cycle. Like it, but at the top of the cycle, and probably the most extreme I've seen. Was in the mid '90s, where you had gold trading, you know, three, four hundred dollar level. But despite that, if you had a gold company with a with a management team and a property, you generally had a hundred million dollar market cap, and which is frankly pretty hard to believe in today's market. It was even pro- hard to believe in the last cycle in the early, you know, the early 2000s or in the early 2000s. But I talked to my friends who've had fathers who played the early 80s boom, and they're saying the same thing. He says the the Vancouver penny stock market was not a penny stock. Everything was trading over a dollar. So when times get good and frothy, the valuations are completely outrageous. And possibly part of the reason I didn't get as many stocks off as I did last cycle was because I've seen... How outrageous things got and they didn't get quite that outrageous. So I was a little, I I took a lot of money off the table, but not as much as I possibly should have. But when this market gets going, uh, valuations will get completely and totally outrageous. And that's where you really need to remember that the vast majority of these gold companies, and we're talking junior gold companies, ones that have not got any, any significant resources. They basically got a property uh, maybe a few hundred thousand ounces it might be marginally economic. They've got, a, you know, uh, they've got a big, big market cap. Those, those are, in the next downturn, trust me, they're going to zero, if not very, very close to zero. So um, that's important to remember when you think about mortgaging your house to buy gold stocks. I,
0: uh, I had a laugh uh, last week when a buddy of mine called it the Vancouver Paper Mill. Uh, we're seeing a lot of new paper and stocks and companies come online uh, right now in this market. I mean, it seems like every day I'm reading the press releases and I get news of a new company getting a financing that I've never heard of or know where their project is. Um, with news with new companies coming onto the market in this new bull, do you is is this kind of where that outrageousness outrageousness begins? Are you seeing that now?
1: You know, I'm not seeing outrageousness now. Um, I'm seeing, you know, healthy, healthy valuations. And that's why everybody in the mining business with a pulse who could raise money is out there doing it. You'll notice every single gold mining company that needs is out there raising money. Um, So it it appears to me as if the, the train is sort of just just warming up, uh, getting filled up, You know, the, the train's being stoked with some coal, they're heating up the boilers and it's ready for a rip. So I think we're in the reasonably early days. I, I, it would be a tough for me to imagine a scenario where gold, the gold cycle gets slapped down hard here and you get it, it ends soon. Um, so I think we're sort of in the early stages of this and how long it continues is difficult to know. But one very important thing I try and uh, share with people, based, this is based on my observations of the gold market. And you know, you'll never hear this from mining executives or from the gold council or for anybody, but this is reality, okay? Why do people buy gold? Well, people buy gold, they tell me they buy gold because it is a, it's a hedge against uh, the US government printing money, right? For instance, okay? And they've been they're printing money like crazy. So, you know, you think buy gold bullion and that would be a hedge to the printing of the US dollar. Well that, that makes sense but the, the, one ent- the one group of entities that I know print even more than the US Fed is the junior, mar- junior mining market and their ability to flood the market with baloney paper from these junior mining companies is absolutely immense. And I think that's what killed the last cycle uh, in the early 2000s. Why it didn't run as hard as it could have is because every time you're ready to see a run in some of these gold stocks, you have ABC and XYZ brokerage firm bringing baloney mining to market and raising another five or ten million dollars and sapping up all the demand for gold stocks. There wasn't any scarcity value whatsoever. So the whole reason you're buying gold is because of the printing presses. Yet, if you buy junior gold stocks, one of the biggest risks is these dealers are pumping out paper like there's no tomorrow. So it's very, very difficult for these stocks to rally. And that's kind of where we didn't get the crazy levels last time. Yet, you know, it seemed like we got to the crazy levels in the cycle I played the hardest, which was probably in the 90s, where, uh, and that's where Brix took place. But Part of the reason for that cycle getting really, really crazy is that there was multi-billion dollar wins both in Brix. Briex went to almost a $6 billion market cap and uh, just prior to that, Boise's Bay with Robert Friedland and uh, Diamond Diamondfield Resources, they, they had that massive nickel discovery which put se- I, I forget the exact number, but around $5 billion in the hands of investors. So there's lots and lots of liquidity uh, floating around back then. So here we are today, one of the biggest things that could kill a gold market in the juniors is the printing of uh, junior gold shares and the raising of money. And uh, that, that could really kill this gold junior rally, and then you'll start hearing complaints of, so, hey, you know, the price of gold is now at 2200 but my gold stocks haven't run. Well, the reason they haven't run is the dealers have been printing out so much money and putting out so much paper, there's no scarcity value whatsoever to it.
0: Well, here's an interesting thought for you and open question to you. I mean, obviously, <laughs> the executives of these companies aren't going to check themselves at the door because uh, they got to get going when the going's hot. The uh, The exchanges want their fees. And so as long as they keep on paying their fees, they'll continue to be listed on the exchanges. And the uh, banks and the brokerages are able to raise the money and take their fees so, who is is the retail investor the only level of of a watchdog here, to to kind of share ideas of things where not you shouldn't put your money? Is that where really where it all lies?
1: I'm not sure. It's a retail investment. Like there, there's one of the things that could really mess this market up is uh, is sometimes when you get foreign investment capital and. Uh, I, i've seen it a number of times where you get these big funds out of the u.s who uh, you know they have some junior who's all all pumped on gold and they give him, you know they'll give him two or three billion bucks to play with and tell him to invest it in gold well he'll invest a bunch of it in the big cap names but eventually he'll convince his bosses to you know give him a few hundred million or possibly a billion dollars to play around in the junior space and that's really when the the craziness could really start and uh Yeah. So there's as far as the, you know, the gatekeepers, I'm not sure there's really a gatekeeper. The I could trust, trust me on this one. The investment dealers in Canada will print as much junior gold paper as they could possibly print, jam down the throats of investors until every ounce of demand is met. And the only stopping them, the only thing stopping them right now from doing that is we're at the reasonably early in the cycle and there aren't as many dealers. Uh, the last couple of cycles, there would have been many multiples more uh, more dealers than there are today, and they were cranking out paper like crazy. So what's going to probably happen here is uh, you know some of the guys from the, from the bigger dealers will break up, start their own small firms, and they'll start throwing paper at the market too. So um, once that capacity increases, we'll see what happens. We've seen this exact same thing happen in any previous hot market. Uh, we saw this happen in the weed market where it just got flooded with paper. Valuations got crazy, got flooded with paper, it totally collapsed. We saw this with lithium, when lithium was exciting. It got flooded with paper, overwhelmed the investor demand, collapsed. You saw this with rare earth metals. We've seen it with a whole bunch of different commodities over the years. But um, we really haven't seen this with gold for about you know a decade. So, um, but it's, same thing's gonna happen. I just don't know how strong this bull is going to is going to last a few years, a few months. See what happens here, but there definitely seems to be a pretty decent head of head of steam here on this uh, in this run.
0: What would you like to see if you're doing some due diligence on maybe a new company that you saw that just kind of came online? Uh, what would you want to look at within some of the uh, proxies and the information that the, that they filed on, say Cedar? Uh, to look forward to maybe find any other red flags other than just the cheap paper?
1: You know, um, investing in this type of market in the golds is quite a bit different than what I'm used to, which is like the last number of years when the gold market was out of favor. So when the gold market was out of favor, you mostly cared about, um, you know, the quality of the project, the quality of management, their cash burn. Can they raise money? Can they not raise money if they did if I make a discovery, would there be somebody there to buy it, that sort of thing, like fundamentals, deep down fundamentals. In today's market, it's uh, you've got to change that a tiny bit because, you know, as time goes on and the froth builds, the fundamentals will be less and less, and what will be more important is, uh, and this is, you know, unfortunately, this is rather mercenary, but it'll be, well, what kind of management team do you have and what is your ability to promote? Because you know that if, if a gold start company, exploration company starts today, I'm pretty sure they will not have a chance of finding any meaningful gold resources for, you know, at least three years from now, even if they are successful. So between now and then there's a good chance the gold cycle will be over with. So what you want to do is you want to invest in companies that will hype the crap out of their stock and get the stock moving. So that's the reality. The reality is, if you start a gold company today, any of these new gold companies starting, uh, they've got many, many hard years down the down the road to, to grind away, and um, and it's really difficult to make money on on a fundamental basis. And so the only way you can really make money on that is you've got to have some hype in the market, which will start moving their shares up. And you know you can get some really incredible story tori- stories told. Uh, I've, I've seen, you know, complete complete junk uh, with really, really big hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars worth of market cap. And, you know, I know pretty sh- pretty sure these will never be mines, right? So um, we're kind of heading into that stage. It's, again, it's not unlike other stages and other commodities and other sectors. For instance, I remember, you know, the 2000s, right, when uh, the NASDAQ crashed. But prior to that, you know, you'd see companies run by a bunch of dimwits with a billion-dollar market cap, right? And uh, we're going to see the same stuff. We'll see perhaps not billion-dollar market caps, but definitely you'll see really lousy gold companies run by some twits who have uh, good promotional skills and they, they they work at it from every angle they can. They spend tons of the money raised to promote the stock and they can get to many hundreds of millions of dollars and fundamentally they really don't have much
0: it's almost a catch-22 right like you could have a really good project and not market enough and and a lot of the investment community is upset that you're not getting the word out there but then there's other projects that if you market too much then you're labeled a pump job (laughs) yeah well
1: if you market too much chances are you are a pump job yeah yeah exactly (laughs) um
0: I I want to talk to you about uranium, but before we get to uranium, kind of change course here away from precious metals, I did want to ask you, you've been pretty outspoken uh, regarding the SoulGold and Cornerstone uh, saga that has continued to uh, have new tidbits almost every month, if not every week. Uh, What are your current thoughts here on um, the Cornerstone news that they're looking to get a brand new board there in SoulGold?
1: Yeah, well, I know Nick Mather, uh, the CEO, that they're trying to replace uh, quite well. And um, I, I do indeed share their view that Nick should go. Um, I'm not sure if you're aware, but Cornerstone was uh, subject of a hostile takeover bid by Sol Gold last year. It was a mean-spirited bid uh, with a crappy price, and it was turned down within a matter of hours. Possibly the quickest I've ever seen any hostile takeover bid turned down then uh, you know nick and his team 17 months later hits cornerstone again with the same stupid price level and uh, again hostile and sure enough the number of people against it was even higher so in my world the definition of insanity is doing the same thing again and again and expecting a different result so there's Nick showing up with a mean-spirited bid again to Cornerstone, uh, the same crappy multiple that he suggested, which was, I think, 11, 11 gold shares for every Cornerstone share, which is woefully inadequate, right? So he's just mean-spirited, and so he, I think he's pissed off a lot of Cornerstone shareholders. So Cornerstone owns a big chunk of his company, and he's also along the way pissed off uh, Newcrest, which is pretty clear, they've yanked their board their their director off the board, and um, I'm I'm you know I'm pretty confident there's some other big institutions that may not be happy with Nick, and I would think BHP is probably not super happy with Nick because they got shut out of any of the recent financing activity. Instead of financing through with Newcrest and BHP, they went with uh, Franco Nevada and paid an extraordinarily high price to finance that. So. If you kind of add it all together, and you go well, New- Nick Mather has annoyed uh, Cornerstone, BHP, Newcrest, and possibly another one or two major shareholders who I won't won't really name. Um, Nick may not be there come uh, come October when uh, the meeting has been called. So uh, I think it's they're rightfully rightfully so he should be should be replaced. I think his time is over. He's made a lot of very strategic decisions. Uh, he's also refused to uh, to cooperate with Cornerstone, and I think uh, I think the ideal situation would not necessarily even be a takeover of Cornerstone, but just work cooperatively with Cornerstone to maximize the value of uh, Cascabel. But you know he's difficult to work with, so that's never ever uh, happened either. So I think it's his time to go, and. Uh, if he was wise, I think he should go sooner rather than later or perhaps cut a deal with Cornerstone where he could leave uh, without losing face too much. But uh, knowing Nick, he's pretty stubborn, so he's probably going to take it to the end and have to get voted off, voted off the island, you know?
0: It just seems like value destruction through, I don't want to say management incompetence, but just management uh, ego.
1: Yeah, well, you know, I've been accused of having an ego by going up against Nick, and uh, so you know, you know, we all get accused of that. But I think if uh, if a sober person stands back and looks what's happened here, um, I think the, they would uh, probably share Cornerstone's view on this.
0: Okay, uh, let's do talk about uranium. Stepping away from precious metals and in uh, and that story. Um, you, you, you've got some interest here in uranium, and I'm just curious of where you think we are in this uranium market and uh, what you got your eyes on.
1: Yeah, well, for anybody who's followed me, I'm a huge fan of NextGen. The reason I love NextGen is it's a tier one, uh, tier one deposit. The economics are extraordinary. They're in. They're in northern Saskatchewan and they're run by a solid management team. So I just love them. Just to, like forget about even a good uranium market. Their, their ability to make a lot of cash, even at today's uranium price, is awesome. So that's what I like about it. Okay. Now, the, re- the real icing on the cake could be, a, could be a strong run in uranium. And the reason I think we could see this is, uh, let's say, on the demand side, demand is creeping up you know, a few s- low single digits every year, two to three percent, four percent, whatever the number is every year, as uh, the Chinese has possibly the biggest build out of uranium or sorry, biggest build out of nuclear power plants since the 1970s. And uh, you've no- recently noticed that in the U.S., the U.S. is putting increased emphasis on on nuclear power. And I think anybody with half a brain around the world will understand if we're going to go into, you know, if you're running the stock on Tesla, well why don't you just step back a second and say, well, what do you need to, for Tesla to be successful? You're going to need power. You need non CO2 generating power. Well, you, you know, here in Canada and Northern Europe and Russia, you know, you just can't do the solar thing. Right. And, and the wind thing is so an economic, right? Uh, so we're going to need globally a strong base load, non CO2 generating power. And we've already dammed up all our rivers. So the next, the best, best thing do that is nuclear power. So, I'm a strong believer that the Chinese are doing the right thing in building out nuclear power plants to hopefully replace their coal-powered plants, so they could have fresh air for their people to breathe. Right. So, um, for us to for us to power the new electrical generation, where we're all driving electric cars and we've electrified as many fossil fuel-burning items as we can, we're going to need. Big, strong, baseload, dependable uh, power, and that's coming from uh, nuclear energy. Through uh, and, and there's tremendous new research going on with these fail-safe nuclear reactors because nobody wants a another uh, another uh, Fukushima or any of those meltdowns. The new fail-safe ones. I have some friends building them. They're amazing, and so I think nuclear power is the future. So um, that being said, demand, despite my views is increasing every year as china builds up so we've got increasing demand and then on the supply front the market's been kind of lazy here in that there's a whole bunch of factors that make uranium very very unique uh, been there's been a fair amount of secondary supply that's been stockpiled from various various sources around the world that's been feeding the market to the tune of uh, many tens of millions of pounds per year and um the, What's happening is this is gradually, you know, every year goes by, there's less and less of it available. So what's happened to exacerbate that problem is uh, you've had uh, Cameco, the second largest producer in the world, shut down MacArthur River and Cigar Lake. They're only two major mines, right? They're two major mines. Um, they've got other smaller ones, but those are the two big ones. And then you've had the uh, uh out of Kazakhstan, who's basically... Uh, the world leader, I believe, they're producing around forty percent of the world's uh, world's uranium, and they've they've been curtailing production, and uh, due to COVID nineteen. So you've had massive curtailment of production, and you're running low on this. We're you know we're gradually winding down this secondary supply that supplies the uranium market. So it's a um, it's an interesting dynamic here. Where uh, and then just to add it all. At the price of uranium currently is so low that um, it's not incentivizing people to put new uranium mines into production, except for I think NextGen will make a ton of money doing this. But so you've got a whole bunch of factors that are very, very positive for uranium. And that's why I think, although I like NextGen for the fundamentals at current prices, I think there could be some real icing on the cake with a strong run in uranium.
0: Yeah, it's interesting you did mention Chemico, they lost some market share this week after the financials and said they were going to try to restart Cigar Lake this September
1: yeah yeah no it's an interesting one because <clears throat> I'm, I'm on record saying uh you know I'm not sure they'll ever restart MacArthur and Cigar if they restart it this gives you a sense as to how vulnerable Cameco is um it, when it opened in 2004, I believe it had a 15-year mine life, so that means before the end of this decade, you know, Cigar Lake will be mined out, and if it's questionable whether MacArthur River should be reopened, you know, Chemical will have nothing at the end of this decade, um, and they're the second largest producer of uranium, so where do you think the price of uranium is going? So and, and not here's the other weird thing about the uranium market. You've also got Cameco and Kazatomprom have entered into long-term contracts to supply utilities. And since they're not producing what they used to produce, they'll actually have to go into the spot market to buy uranium to, to supply these long-term contracts. So there's so many th- moving parts in the uranium market, and many of them are very, very positive for uranium. Um, it could be quite exciting, and I was around, obviously, in around 2006, 2007 timeframe when Uranium blew through a hundred bucks, and you know, I forget the all-time high was around the 140 range. But um, I'll tell you that we saw some tremendous money being made in the uranium market at that point.
0: We are starting to see some heads turned with, in support of uranium energy, and you mentioned Tesla before. But I mean, even using the headline from Apple, that they're committing to be 100% carbon neutral, for its supply chain and products by 2030 which is, you know, pretty aggressive, but um, maybe a good headline. But where's their energy going to come from? Right. So I agree with you. It's an interesting uh, selling point for the uranium sector. Warren, thank you so much for your time. This was an interview I um, was looking
1: forward to do. Well, Trevor, I really enjoyed uh, speaking with you and hopefully um, hopefully, some people are, are listening to this interview picked up a couple key points and they might find it use. and uh, hopefully uh, in the next gold junior, they won't be mortgaging their house to buy it. They may use a tiny bit of caution and uh, perhaps uh, when this gold cycle is all over and everything's collapsed once again, um, there might be one or two uh, people that thank me for giving them a tiny bit of caution about what happened on the, on the other side of these tremendous gold markets.
0: Well, I, I have learned a tremendous amount from just listening to you speak with other people. So uh, it's nice to have you on the show and share the same stories and advice to our listeners. So thank you so much.
1: Well, thanks so much. And to all the Canadians uh, listening, have a great uh, August 1st long weekend. <laughs> there you go. One more holidays for the Canadians. While
0: right. us people in the U.S. are stuck at the, work, at, at the home office now. <laughs> so, all right, everybody. Uh, we're going to take a real short break and be back with a quick corporate update from one of our sponsors. Pacific Empire Minerals stay tuned And we are back in our second segment on this Friday morning in-depth interview. Glad to be welcoming back to the show Mr. Brad Peters, who's the CEO of Pacific Empire Minerals, Pacific Empire Trades, on the TSX Venture with the symbol PEMC, and also on the OTC QB markets here in the United States with PEMSF. Brad, welcome back to Mining Stock Daily, my friend.
2: Thank you, Trevor. Appreciate it.
0: Uh, You know, we thought we'd just take a little bit of time and uh, get a little bit of a rundown to see what the company has been up to the last few months. You did just close a $1.2 million non-brokered private placement. So you do have some money to go out there and do some exploration work. Uh, Before we get into some of the actual exploration work you are doing, can you fill us in on this private placement and, uh, you know, what your experience was uh, raising this cash?
2: No, uh, yeah, for the for the placement, we actually raised uh, about one point one million in the placement, and that was eight hundred thousand in hard dollars and uh, the rest being flow through there. Um, our experience was that we're we're in a we're in a bull market. That's sort of what it seems. Um, we'll see how things go forward here, but we're certainly excited. and um, you know that's given us the sort of horsepower here to really get started on what we want to do this year, which is uh, aggressive drilling with our RC drill. And, you know, on that front, we uh, a few months ago, closed uh, you know an agreement with, uh, with the Jean Marie property there. We were able to, uh, I think, uh, secure pretty darn good terms on a property that uh, we've always been interested in. So, so really for this year, the financing we're looking at, we'll be drilling the, plan is to drill the World Stock property to start and then our Whedon property and then we may have another one we throw in there, uh, in addition, but really it's all leading up to the Jean Marie property this year. Uh, you know, in, uh, I guess in September, uh, October there, that would be our, our big push in terms of drilling and, uh, no, certainly looking forward to a, a lot of drilling this year. Uh,
0: it, it, it's a different market yeah. than what we were in, you know, three or four months ago. Yeah. Um, and it, you know, complete, completely different uh, resources now for Pacific Empire. Can you kind of walk us through kind of what you've seen as a CEO from a prospect generator over the last couple of months, and as we are we going to start seeing a little bit more? Do you feel like we're going to see a little bit more uh, capital coming into the specifically the prospect generator models?
2: I think so. Yes, that's an interesting question. Actually, I was up speaking with someone here uh, this morning, and just regarding. There certainly does seem to be capital flowing in, um, but there is, um, there seems to be from some perspectives, a lack of projects. And I, I think that's something that I've seen over the last several weeks in this, you know, Trevor, over the last couple of years, we've let's just say we have tested 10, 11 projects and we've killed a lot, but we've had, you know, three that have basically held together and, and been strong properties for us. Um, the stars being one, pinnacle being the other, and copper king being the other. Um, and we've noticed uh, certainly in the last uh, oh ten days for sure, um, especially with our pinnacle property, there's a uh, significant interest, to just from people calling up wanting to know is the property available um, and uh, would it be suitable for uh, you know for their particular vehicle because there are companies as as you know right now that that you know they're able to raise the capital but the hard part is is getting the good projects and uh so for us a property like pinnacle which we've had for a while and uh you know we haven't really drilled anything significant in in terms of copper on the property although it has there is copper there it's for for the most part we just keep drilling gold on that property and um um, and uh so in a hot in a hot gold market it's you know the what we've seen in terms of uh, gold gold on that property is it's over a very, very wide area. And uh, so that's certainly a project that I've noticed has piqued a lot of interest. And, uh, but on that side, yes, it, it, I've certainly seen a big change in, uh, in money flowing into the sector, absolutely. And then in, uh, in those companies that uh, do have money and that are looking for projects, uh, good projects are, are, they're always hard to find and right now is no exception.
0: Well, you really you're specifically focused in British Columbia on uh gold and copper projects and so I mean how much how more how much more competitive do you have to become as a company to find, you know, you know, other claims in, in areas to start this prospect generator? I mean, does it start there or is this just wide range? Um, as far as even just, you know, people maybe one step above as more exploration plays. So like, how, how are people finding projects? Are they paying a premium for it or they just have to get more creative?
2: Well, I guess I might preface my response by saying in a bull market, anything goes kind of, I mean, it's the, there's a, probably a wide spectrum out there. Um, I think that there is the, the, the route that we'll most likely see probably in the short term, which is people paying a premium. Um, because the time, the the lag in time required to generate quality projects, it takes years. Um, it really does take years. And so, for those that have spent the time, um, such as we have during the de- you know during a bear market, developing projects and killing some too, absolutely make no mistake. Um, but in terms of weeding out the projects that are quality for us, um, it takes time, right? It really does take time, and. Uh, and uh, I think that it's uh, you know if you've spent the time develop the project, and there's uh, you know the demand outstrips you know the availability of projects, well then, then a premium is is, is um, that's what that's what, probably what's going to have to be paid on these things.
0: Uh, it's focusing specific on Pacific Empire's projects, what are some of the uh, strategies or exploration uh, targets that you are looking at that maybe your shareholders and resource speculators will be wanting to pay attention to in the coming weeks. Now that you are, now that you have cash.
2: Yeah, I think from from our perspective, I, you know, I think the best way to communicate it to interested investors would be that really we got, we really have two parallel streams of of news and work. Um, stream number one would be our R C drill. And the projects that we've had there in the portfolio that we'll be drilling this year are the World Stock and the Whedon. Um, and we'll spend a couple months on those projects. Um, but in parallel with those, um, you know, we, we are lo- taking a look here at the Jean Marie property, which is the property we optioned a few months ago. And that was traditionally, you know, looked at as a copper molybdenum play. And, you know, when the vast majority of the drilling on that property took place in the 70s, and, you know, gold, at that time it was gold, it was copper molly. And, uh, and so we were always, we've always been curious about the gold potential on this property. And uh, so we've had crews up there having a look at it and, and you know, and uh, doing some sampling and that sort of stuff. And we'll see, uh, you know, how that turns out. But that's, you know, I, I think for, you know, for interested investors, I think that, you know, if we can, you know, demonstrate that the Jean Marie property does have, potential for gold that's uh that's something that we're looking to to try and accomplish um but again the uh the proof will be in the pudding as they say
0: how about the world stock property i know that was something you were really excited about Mm -hmm. when you and i uh, chatted a little bit more frequently during the winter where are we at with world stock yeah where we're at with world
2: stock is uh it's all ready to go and i think that you'll see news here at some point in the next i don't know not too long here where uh we're uh we're underway working on the world stock in terms of drilling but it's a project close to kamloops uh about an hour north of the uh new afton mine and uh they're great in access great infrastructure and uh you know our plan there probably is something in the order of 10 holes um have a look see what's there see what See what turns up, and uh, whether we want to continue uh, past ten holes, and uh, or if we want to move on to the you know, onto the Whedon project. But the World Stocks, it's a great location. It's a great place, and uh, but it's covered, and it's uh, it's one of those projects that's perfect for RC drilling, and uh, that's exactly what we intend to do on it this year.
0: And how about Pinnacle? I'm, you know, Pinnacle was one of the things you were really excited about, in the initial. Uh, drill results didn't come back as high of grade as you would have hoped, yeah. but uh, it doesn't sound like the work there is completely done. Like you're not killing the project off. So what what can we expect from Pinnacle?
2: Uh, hard to say this year. I think that uh, what I would say is there's interest in the Pinnacle right now. Um, you know, and and I think the question for us is is that do we do we drill it ourselves, or do we bring in a partner? And um, so we'll look at the, what options we have for us there and what works best for the company. But, in a, you know, like I said, that project is one where it's a, it's a very interesting geophysical. It's a very large geophysical anomaly, an IP anomaly with a number of very attractive magnetic targets. It's just a very, very large area. And, um, and as I mentioned, we stepped out you know upwards of a kilometer to four kilometers of these type of step outs and we're still getting very interesting results um we haven't obviously haven't located the center if there is one but um in terms of uh you know the drilling that's gone over gone on in that property over the last since i guess 2014 now all of it's been very interesting every hole's been interesting um from my perspective and um so we're going to do, we'll, we'll see in terms of, uh, you know, what, what there is out there in terms of, um, you know, I guess I'd say a premium and uh, and uh, and then we'll look at whether there that, you know, that's something we're willing to look at in terms of a partner or if this is something we want to, uh, you know, just, you know, maybe put another 10 holes into this year and just see, see if we can advance it a bit further ourselves. Because there are targets on the property that are pretty low cost to explore for us. Um it's just going to be a function of do we get the right terms and uh, and if not, we'll uh, we'll probably look at doing it ourselves.
0: And Brad, wrapping things up here uh, with the discussion. I guess I'll leave the last word to you. What do you want our listeners and uh, your shareholders and other potential new speculators in Pacific Empire to know moving forward?
2: I think what's central to to our company is that we believe in discovery, we believe it's possible. Um, but we also recognize that it's a function of drilling. You have to drill. And, um, you know, we spent two years really working on and developing our system for RC drilling, which in combination with passive seismometers, we found that uh, it can be an extraordinarily effective technique. Um, We've got the projects in the portfolio now, we've got the drill running, we've got the capital. And uh, I think, it's time to move now and uh you know and respond and and uh and uh you know with the understanding that we are in a bull market uh, or a favorable market you know at minimum and uh so i think you'll see us be uh, fairly aggressive here over the coming months and uh and possibly years
0: all right brad appreciate you and appreciate your time thank you so much thank you very
2: much appreciate it that's
0: brad peters he's the ceo of pacific empire minerals Again, trades on the TSX Venture with the symbol PEMC and also on the OTC QB with PEMSF. I'm happy to share that they are a supporter and sponsor of Mining Stock Daily. That's wrapping things up for us this week. Have yourselves a great weekend. Take care, everybody. Be well.